Hey everybody, welcome to The Story is Ludicrous, a podcast by sometimes four, sometimes three friends who once went to film school and um, now like to talk about movies and TV and stuff. Um, it's me, I'm Keith, I'm back, I've been away, I've missed a bunch of good stuff that I wish I hadn't missed, but here we are. So now that I'm back, we figured we would pick up with uh, our somewhat intermittent series covering all four Indiana Jones movies, um, and we're up to the third one, we're up to Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, a great return to form uh, for the series. I think most people would agree. This is 1989 when it came out. Um, and, uh, well, I guess the first thing I want to say about it is uh, I have an issue with the title. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's, uh, there's, it's definitely not about The Last Crusade. Uh, if you're a any kind of a history nerd, um, it has no connection to the actual Last Crusade of history. Um and in the movie, they are constantly talking about the First Crusade. Um, so one can only presume this is sort of a grand Lucasian tradition of picking somewhat weird and clunky titles that don't always make a lot of sense, but sound pretty good and look good on a poster. Um, I always so thought it, that they were the Last Crusade. Like they, they I mean, but well, they're not—they're not trying to capture the Holy Land from the Saracens. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, just looking I mean, for the Holy Grail, which really had nothing to do with any of the Crusades at all. Yeah. And you know, when I saw the movie <laughs> for the first time as a kid, like I didn't know what the Crusades were, and so even yeah. though they were talking about it, I still didn't really have any context for the Crusades as being a specific set of wars that were conducted right. i just thought a crusade was like an adventure like you're a crusader you're an adventurer yeah, like, and this was going to be the last indiana jones movie so this was the last crusade right right it's just right. But indiana jones and the last movie yeah, yeah. right that's, right it's obvious yeah. enough why they picked it but it's just sort of funny to me that we have a movie that's ostensibly about an archaeologist and a historian and it has a pretty ahistorical title that doesn't yeah. really make a lot of sense um but anyway, yeah, so like like you guys just said, I mean, I think at the time the intent was that this was going to be the last one, um, and it certainly was the last one for a long time. Um, so they did a lot of sort of reference to the first movie structurally and otherwise with different elements. We get a lot of backstory on, well, we get some backstory on Indy himself, um, which really sort of brings us to the, I guess you could call it the cold open of the movie um, where we see young river Phoenix uh, who had played uh, Harrison Ford's son in the mosquito mosquito coast a little bit before this um, uh, appearing as the young Indiana Jones. Um, And it's a lot of fun and we see some cool stuff, but I'm curious, it occurred to me watching it this time, if, if maybe they almost hit sort of the origin beats of Indiana Jones, maybe a little too hard kind of all at once. Um, Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. They sort of, they sort of, jam packet with like here's absolutely everything you know about indiana jones and it all happened at this moment in one hour he, <laughs> in one hour in one hour, he gained everything yeah every um, aspect except, except his love of archaeology yeah um, he because he knew what the cross of coronado was when they pulled it out of the i mean he was already into all that stuff Just but, only like, be, but only because of his father like right. his father is a medieval historian right you know and yeah which again, of course, right. theoretically, the uh, the uh, conquistadors would have been post medieval, but you know, whatever. <laughs> we'll say that old Indiana Jones, or rather, old uh, Henry, Henry Jones, Jones, has a broader yeah. historical but, knowledge than. But like, that's the way that he rebels, though, is like by choosing a like a slightly different like right. you know century <laughs> to specialize in. <laughs> Um, I mean, I think River Phoenix is really fun in this. I, I do I do think it's fun how they gave him some of the characteristics in the sense, like, the first thing that really occurred to me was how he's already sort of bossy and, like, 
willing to shove people around when he sort of like grabs his like comically fat friend and is sort of like, come here, do this, go there, you know, go do what I tell you to do. Um, so that sort of crops up a bit, but then they do, they, they you know, it seems like we might be in agreement. They kind of hit a few too many of the beats. You know, I mean, we have the snakes, we have the whip scar on the, uh, chin right which actually made me wonder isn't there didn't they do something in the star wars series to make mark they did to make mark hamill's scars uh make sense that was the whole like wampa thing right where they had yeah this, slashed in the face he got in a big car accident like yeah. right before right. they started shooting that and yeah so that's right. why they they immediately sideline him and smack him in the face right yeah. so so yeah. we have you know in two different lucas projects we have actual scars on the actual actors being justified within the movies themselves so yeah I, this I, is also after harrison ford was in working girl and he tells another a completely different story about the origin of his scar and then <laughs> i don't know if it's in uh, any other movies but <laughs> it's a, it's in every movie there's yeah. gonna be a book one day compiled of all the origin <laughs> stories of harrison ford's scar yeah <laughs> Um, so one thing I thought was kind of funny when he jumps onto the circus train is, you know, he sort of like sends his horse off and I couldn't help but wonder what happened to the horse and just sort of like ran off into the wilderness. I, was like, I well. did. I did have a weird, uh, a weird issue with the way horses were treated in general, you know, okay. where it's just like, man, they're making these horses run an awful lot in the desert with no water or anything. And they're like, those horses were constantly running all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and horses can't really run that long for that extended a period of time that consistently without a break. Yeah, but I think they you know, also probably don't like to run near tanks. Right, like, that's probably explosions. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I think I'm willing to forgive this in the same way I was willing to forgive in Raiders of the Lost Ark in the submarine never going underwater, right, and yeah. just letting Indy survive up there yeah. in the. Well, that I mean, it, like if we're still in that in the in the um. In the teaser, like adventure sequence, like which I think is really fun. I mean, I think that like you're absolutely right. Like it, it's 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 really silly for everything to happen in this one hour, but at the same time, like I think, um, I think like that type of thing hadn't really been done very much back then. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like like th- that origin story stuff, and also it's kind of like they kind of just pile up as jokes, like one after mm-hmm. the other. And you're like, oh, this is how he got the thing. Oh, and also that, and also that. Like, the 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 implausibility of all these things happening at the same time, like, I think it actually works for the movie rather yeah. than against it. It just makes it more fun, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and I think, yeah, you know. that's a big thing with this scene is that it it goes back to the, the adventure tone where Temple of Doom had completely gone astray you know we talked a lot about that opening sequence in temple of doom where like this musical number is totally out of Mm -hmm. left field for this kind of movie and we're not even we don't even see indy for the first like three minutes of the movie and what are we there for and indy's not there going to get something he's just trying to like everything about this goes back to the opening scene of Raiders where it's mm-hmm. Indy on an adventure to find something, although in this case it's sort of an accident that he finds it, but he's there to gain an artifact that, you know... Like the idol. Yeah, he's, yeah, start, yeah. he's being established He goes as, into a cave or, you know... <clears throat> yeah, sort of. he's rogue, but he still has his values, like the artifact needs to be presented and preserved and, and put in a museum and for people to study and learn about, but his, he's more than happy to just steal it. Um, but then, you know, it, it goes fun and it's not, it's, I don't know. It's an action sequence where like I was able to follow what was happening compared to 
Temple of Doom where it's just like, wait, where's this diamond going and why are they kicking it around and who's screaming and, yeah. you know, all this. It was like, it's not chaos. It's very clean and, and yeah. well put together. It's, it's definitely one of the first, you know, indications that they're actively, consciously trying to recapture, you know, some of the feel of Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, which I think in general they're fairly successful with doing throughout. But um, so, you know, so we get our transition um, with the hat that he's been given from his, you know, rogue archaeologist that he's met, or at least his rogue tomb raider. And we meet, you know, his immediate nemesis again, which is the dude in the white suit, um, which I guess he's been wearing that same suit for yep. tw- 26 years. <laughs> hey, man, when you get a well-tailored suit, you don't give it up. Even when I you're going to go on a ship in the exactly. pouring rain. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess Tom Wolf wears the same suit all the time. But, you know, it's, it's it did sort of jump out. I'm like, okay, I know you need to indicate that this is the same guy. but uh, Except that still. the limp and the cane wouldn't have been enough. No, the limp I mean, and the cane the... would have been fine. It was funny because I, I haven't seen this one in a while. And when I did see that originally... I don't know why I thought this, but my first thought was like, oh, I wonder if that turns out to be Belloc. But then, of course, it doesn't. Um, and there's really nothing to even signal that. But I was like, that would have kind of been interesting if he's actually been dealing with Belloc, you know, since he was a child. But I guess it would have made the age difference way too much. But anyway. Um, so, yeah, so we're on the boat. Nice little uh, rock'em, sock'em adventure on the boat. He ends up blowing the boat up and killing everybody, I guess accidentally, but still sort of does that um somehow doesn't get boiled alive somehow doesn't get <laughs> the, boiled like the alive. like 300 foot tall explosion <laughs> yep <laughs> he survives on the open sea somehow um but then so we get back to the university which i really enjoy um you know they sort of recapitulate that first scene where we see him back at the university and raiders um i think it, is that the same bit of dialogue too or is that or am i just conflating the two where his whole thing about, you know, most of archaeology is done in the library, et cetera, et cetera. I totally um, see now why, I think when we talked about Raiders, you had always gotten confused with the it's, I love it's you specifically It's specifically this, like, the, the that university scene yeah. where he, like, wa- like, he has to jump out the window. And mm-hmm. and also the scene where Marcus goes in the truck. Right. Like, mm-hmm. those two scenes, I can never remember which movie they're in. Yeah. The, but right. the other big set pieces are really memorable. But, like, yeah, the uni- but that's, like, the university scene specifically feels like we're doing the first movie again. Like, this is our version, you know. Yeah. This is how yeah, Indiana definitely. Jones movies start. We're sorry about the last time. My, <laughs> yeah. my, Which I'm totally, I'm totally fine with that. Like, I love seeing him in that environment. Like, I like seeing that side of his life. Like, I think when we were talking about Raiders, I was saying that one of the things I enjoy so much about the character of indiana jones is this sort of you know you know the his divided lifestyle where he's you know both a thrill-seeking adventurer and also you know a nerdy educator and it's you know when they try to blend those things i think it's pretty cool and and, you know and obviously they literally blend those things with just the sort of joke of him climbing out the window you know because you're like well of course he'd climb out a window it's like we just saw him do a bunch of like much crazier stuff than climb out a window well yeah yeah, Um, you know what it does is it makes him a superhero like with the the, secret identity yeah basically (laughs) he puts uh, the hat on he puts the the hat on i did think it was funny that the guy who's clearly like the most popular professor in the entire university like his office is a boiler room well and also (laughs) the thing that I thought watching it this time was he is doing wonders for women in the sciences because <laughs> all those girls in his class taking archaeology in 1938 were in mm-hmm. right now like yeah. that's yeah. that's really progressive he's doing some really good work there for that time period yeah. I guess I guess you could also look at that and be like are they just trying to say that like all women care about is like having a hot teacher but, yes, yes of course that's, that's what they're well, saying but I think oh I think all like 19 year old women right. I yes. mean but yeah. wasn't that like a great time period for Egyptology like wasn't most like most of those discoveries like yeah. I mean in the, tw- in yeah. the 20s and 30s very big. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was also just it was coming out of like, you know, 
only like 10 years before, like the whole like sort of like artistic trend was the whole art deco thing where people were sort of like abstractifying pseudo Egyptian motifs into like, you know, lots of scalloping and curls and waves all over things. But yeah, um, I do think though this is, I mean, I didn't really get this any other time I watched the movie, but now it's more like, I mean, it has the same structure as the first movie, but it, everything kind of has the spine of his relationship with his father. Mm-hmm. And it really, like, and the disconnect, which is supposed to be there just for comic reasons of him being like, you know, all archaeology is done in the library, like, right after he had this crazy adventure. But I do right. think that, like, that attitude, it comes off like he is, like, he's saying this because that's what his father would want him to say. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like, do as I, do as I uh, say, not as I do. And yeah. then, like, and then behind, you know, everybody's back, he goes and has these crazy rogue adventures and steals this stuff, which is also what his father does. You know what I right. mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know, it, it comes up again and again throughout the movie, like, you know, the right down to the casting and everything, but just you know how perfect sort of like this relationship is drawn between the two of them. Um, but uh, okay, so then uh, he gets picked up by some shadowy figures, and we don't know what's going to happen, but he actually gets taken to a fancy dress party. Um, where uh, a man named Donovan reveals the plot of the movie to him, which yeah. is that the Holy Grail exists and he wants to find it. And oh yes, by the way, your father's been kidnapped. <laughs> we'll That's the last <laughs> kind of buried the lead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, let's. I'm going to save this to button the scene very nicely with this moment. But this is some information you might really want to know. But we'll save this for later. First, I want to intrigue you with the <laughs> the Holy Grail story. Also, like with um, Donovan. I couldn't tell if it was just because I, I've seen the movie, but, like, it's so obvious that he's the villain. It's supposed to be, right? Okay, yes. It, it is. is. I, I have a whole thing about this. Okay. It absolutely yeah, is. Yeah, go with it. Go okay, ahead. so this is this is going to be a little bit lengthy, but this is, this is fan- <laughs> I didn't know any of this, and I found it all out recently, and I found it out in reverse, and I think it's fantastic. So the entire origin of the first Indiana, Indiana Jones movie is Spielberg and Lucas are uh, sitting on a beach in Hawaii in 1977 and Spielberg says, I want to make a James Bond movie, but they won't let me because all those directors are British and they're all like, they've all been a part of that like team for years and years. And Lucas says, I've got this thing that's better than James Bond. It's called Indiana Smith and like he's a rogue adventurer and archaeologist and everything. So, so the whole thing, the whole thing started out as James Bond, right? So of course, when it comes time to cast indiana jones's father you have to cast the original james bond right Mm -hmm. that's everybody knows that that's like what is on the poster of this movie but what everybody doesn't know is that every other element in the movie comes from an existing james bond movie because the (laughs) villain the guy who turns out to give james Bond the assignment that actor's name is julian glover right Mm -hmm. um he plays the same role turns out to be the villain in for your eyes only and allison duty um, who turns out to be a henchman? She's a henchman in a view to a kill. Right. And oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy who um, I can't remember his name, but the guy who's like the keeper of the castle, like when oh um, the butler guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's in the Spy Who Loved Me. Right. And you know, um, I looked up every one of these actors and saw that and did not put it together that they were all in Bond it, movies. It's, it gets even better because the chase across the rooftops of the circus train is straight out of Octopussy. Yes. And the boat chase through the canals of Venice is straight out of Moonraker. Okay. Yeah. Um, absolutely. 
That's yeah. right. Yeah, so it's just it's a chance for Spielberg to put Sean Connery in all these Bond movies that he didn't get to be in because they were Roger Moore movies, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but Connery doesn't get to do half the stuff. No, he doesn't, but it's just like he's like Spielberg's just a, a Bond fanatic, and he's like, this is how I would have done this. It's like he's like presenting his reels to the Broccoli's and being like, why didn't you give me this job? I'm better at this than they are. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't, when, really I, when I first saw this movie, I had seen zero James Bond movies. Right. Now that I've seen all of them, I'm like, oh, my God, it's crazy. Like, how yeah. does nobody talk about this? <laughs> yeah, it's a very, very deep and nested interrelationship for sure. I, so when he meets Donovan, in addition to it being a little bit funny that the very last thing he says is, oh, by the way, your father's missing. Um, although I guess that does sort of tie into the fact that they're mild. No, I guess not estranged, but they certainly don't have a terribly close relationship. Um, <laughs> I, I've just found it funny that like when he says, uh, last known whereabouts in Venice, Italy. <laughs> I'm <just> like, well, <laughs> Thanks not, for clarifying. We're not talking about the beachy part of L.A., but yeah. like, <laughs> um, they do that several times. They're like, Venice, Italy, so you know where Venice is. Because um, if I didn't know where Venice was, I would certainly know where Italy was. Exactly. Um, well, even but, if you, you know, don't know where it is, you get the map. Right, you, know, you get yeah, the travel by map, map which is, uh, yeah. Um, oh, just to momentarily backtrack to the, the circus train you're referring to, I did, one element I thought was kind of cool was like, he runs into the, the magic car and he's like, magic! And I was like, oh, that's kind <laughs> of an interesting... I mean, just the fact that like all of these movies end up having some sort of supernatural or otherworldly thing that, as far as we can tell, is real. Um, or at least mostly real. And, you know, so I just, I felt in maybe in a way that was a bit of a nod to like that, but maybe not. Um, so yeah, so Indy dashes off to his father's house with Marcus Brody in tow. And they discover that his house has been extremely recently ransacked, uh, that day, in fact. And they decide that they're going to go to Venice and try to track down Indy's father. And up to the, at this point, I'm, I'm, I like the fact that Marcus Brody is going. I think it's cool that he's going to be on the adventure. Um, I'll have to revisit that opinion in a bit and see if I still like the fact that he's on the adventure later. But I like this fact that he's, he's going to go with them. So, but so yeah, we get our map transition. Uh, we get to Venice. Um, and so we meet Elsa. Uh, we meet uh, Dr. Elsa Schneider, a German lady. I guess she's Austrian, but uh, Austrian lady. Um, who Indy immediately starts to hit on. Yeah. Um, Again, which, played by an Irish actress. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> which just so three, desperate to get her in there. Yeah. For me, it brings up the question of, this is only two years after Raiders of the Lost Ark. What happened to Marion? Anyone have any ideas? What happened to Marion? Why is, where's, why is Marion totally out of the picture? I'm curious what uh, happened to her. I mean, they're totally... Think it was just like, it was a it was a relationship reforged by adventure, and it just couldn't quite withstand. Well, don't they come back to it in Crystal Skull? Don't they sort of? Explain I know that there's it? dialogue about it. I don't yeah. remember exactly what it is. Um, mm. I mean, I get. I mean, and I maybe you're not supposed to get this impression, and I certainly never did as a kid. But now, when I watch these movies, I definitely think that the point of those university scenes is that. He is having sex with all those coeds. Like I, th- I really, I really think that he is, and I think that like, and I think that Marion wasn't down with that. Basically, well, he definitely. I mean, yeah, he has the history, right? I mean, that's you know when he was first introduced to Marion, it was, right? You know, he was seducing her as a too young woman. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, maybe that is one of his vices. Um, yeah. So the girl like drops the note on his desk, and he's like, "Huh, note." Yeah. Man, I can't. I, he, he's know. not like no. Like they don't make a point of him like rejecting the whole. You know, right. he could have gotten another job somewhere more. You know, where that was really lucky. In Raiders, in Raiders, they play him as being slightly more awkward about it, but they don't in this really at all. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah maybe... he's really lucky that he lives in the time period that he did because if he was doing that stuff now, he he wouldn't last very long in academia. <laughs> That's unfortunate we don't have Seth here for his uh, uh, yeah, I'd be curious. <laughs> input on the whole <laughs> academic <laughs> aspect of everything. Um, but uh, yeah, so they go to the once church, now library in Venice, um, where it turns out that X does mark the spot after all, which, haha. Yeah, this fine. is another um, thing where I felt like watching it now, and I, I just can't tell if it's because I've seen it, where it seemed like the answer to the puzzle was so painfully obvious that I no, couldn't I believe actually, that Sean Connery didn't figure it out. I thought that precisely the same thing, and actually what I thought about it, to go back to what Jeff was talking about, is it's very Bond, and specifically like very Roger Morian Bond, where Bond shows up and immediately solves some sort of puzzle or riddle that everybody else has been like trying to figure out for, you know, an indefinite amount of time, and is like, well, well, what about if it was this? And of course it turns out that it yeah. is that. Yeah, like um, nobody noticed and actually, those Roman numerals on the column, and nobody noticed that they were the same numerals as on the stained glass. And where's the X? And yeah, right. oh, and I don't get like what they mean specifically. Like ten of what? Like yeah, you know what or, I mean, or three like, right. or so. it's, it's not. Like they're all sort of yeah. random. Like I mean, it, it's yeah. not. It's not even like a di- like they could have made it like a, a stations of the cross, like multiple. Right, or it like could have been a much yeah. Yeah, on the stained glass window, it's like the Roman numerals are above sort of tablets with text on them, and you could be like, oh, these are the excerpts from whatever, you know, or something like that, but they don't really bother going with that. Yeah. Um, but so this, so this and the ensuing adventure underneath the church made me think again about how sort of like weirdly selective Indiana Jones is about respecting historical artifacts where like... Oh, when he takes you know, the torch? Well, there's a couple of things. So it's like, so, you know, he, they establish in the beginning of the movie that he's like, that's the cross of Coronado. Like, it's got to be respected to put in a museum. And then, you know, he's smashing up the floor of like a, at the very least, Renaissance era church and probably medieval era church. If, you know, if we have the knight buried under there, he's, you know, willy nilly, like smashing apart skeletons to like take cloth. Um, you know, even after they find the knight from the crusade and like do the grave rubbing, he's like, well, tipping this over like as soon as like he needs it. Yeah. So he ends up having like, he has this weird sort of tension between like a respect. And then like, if there's any pragmatic reason to destroy anything, he'll destroy it. <laughs> it's like, ah, whatever. Um, yeah. You know, so I there's... guess they're just trying to demonstrate that he's unsentimental, even if he has respect for, uh, occasional historical artifacts. But, I keep yeah. wanting to pick nits at like these scenes because I think they're so perfect in every other way that like even the things that bother me don't bother me. But like just all these little things like that rubbing like is just in a leather jacket pocket. Like that's not protected from the water. Like how does he he it just pulls out the right well. survives that whole adventure and they're soaking wet and the boat adventure and everything else and. I mean, I guess maybe in the 30s well, crayon, they had. I mean, if it's like a crayon that's... rubbing, it's wax on paper. So that's as true. long as the paper survives, which is the, I guess, the more unbelievable right. part. Right, but then uh, things like um, I'm I'm coming at it from today's point of view, where I feel like there's not much under a major city that we don't know is already there. And so the idea that those catacombs, nobody knew that those catacombs were there and that this tomb was King Richard's. Well, and specifically in Venice, which is already flooded. Like that seemed, I mean, I never thought about it before, but that seemed crazy implausible. Right. That there was a river of petroleum about 20 feet below the actual river. Right. Right. You know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, It's it's a little fast and loose for sure. So, yeah. uh, yeah, watching this, I kept picking up on those little things. And then, you know, I ultimately don't really care because the movie... The movie does such a great job, and especially compared to Temple of Doom, where like the action beats are so well spaced out 
that before you can even start being like, oh, that's so whatever, like they just throw you into the next part of the adventure yeah, and you agreed. roll with it. And agreed. It's... Yeah. Um, and yeah, then this is followed by that, like Jeff brought up, sort of Moonraker reference of the racing through the uh, lagoon of Venice on boats. Um, and, you know, they have a nice sort of callback to the, the fight in Raiders with the big airplane propeller. With Now we have a big ship propeller. Um, but, you know, instead of killing the guy this time, he saves him. And it turns out that, you know, he has information about where his father is. And that's pretty cool. Um, the dude, the uh, the the brother of the cruciform cross uh, or sword, rather, seems pretty unaffected by the fact that a bunch of his fellow dudes were just killed off. But, you know, I guess that's what happens when you're a group of martyrs or something yeah um, they must die pretty regularly <laughs> to the point where i'm not quite sure how they get recruited like what's the what's the sales pitch there to... and and honestly are, are there enough <laughs> born people... into the order man yeah it's, i guess it... so are there enough people really like on the verge of finding the holy grail that we need a whole order of people to, like prevent them from doing it well yeah and that's another <laughs> nick because when you... it used to be just a couple of guys but then like after yeah. After ten generations, now it's a whole order. When we, well, when it, be- we get- it became more of a social club, like the Masons. But then suddenly, <laughs> right. suddenly these guys popped up that were really about to find it, and they're like, "Damn it! Like, we have to actually go fight." Well, when so. we get to the end, I'll I'll pick that knit there too. Okay. But anyway, continue. Um, but yeah, so okay, so then you know he beds Elsa, uh, which is you know a bit earlier than he's typically. Well, I guess it's about similar to the timing with Willie in temple i suppose but certainly much earlier than uh, any shenanigans go on with marion but um, another another big improvement over temple of doom is i understand why he would be attracted to her yeah. and why she would be attracted to him and well sure. she's not window dressing she actually no. has a part to play right and, yeah, and she's you know she's adventurous and she's you know at least somewhat strong that we can tell. And, well, you know, and she, yeah. she's part. She's an intellectual, and you right. know, she, yeah, she's part of the same community ish of yeah. That. It's a big improvement. Yeah, sure. I mean, they. Uh-huh. It's like they they really realize where they went wrong with that whole Willie idea and fixed it. Yeah, but and, I, right. I, I was going to say I really like the thing. I mean, something that makes me like her immediately is that she goes into the crypt with him, and she has like she has problems with the rats all over her but she doesn't freak out you know mm-hmm. what i mean like yeah. she hates it but she does it anyway um and then there's that moment when he's doing the rubbing and she's like giddy is a schoolboy and it's that thing that you were talking about where <laughs> yeah. at if the be- very beginning of raiders you see that he genuinely loves right history mm-hmm. you know and it kind of like transforms him and um yeah. and his whole professor persona just goes away um, yeah. And so, so there is that moment between them that you understand why they're attracted to each yeah. other, even though it's really quick. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and yeah. again, I mean, I think speaking of the Giddy's a schoolboy thing, it's like I do think again, Harrison Ford sells that really well, and you know, as with all of this, like does such a good job of kind of creating that character of Indy in so many ways. Um, so, anyway, um, so they go to the German-Austrian border and they find the castle. Um, and I found myself wondering if, given that we're about to meet Sean Connery, if Sean Connery tried to tutor Harrison Ford in a Scots accent or whether that was – he just sort of came up with the best one he could do. And I don't know. I found the, I found myself wondering how Sean Connery felt about Harrison Ford's attempt at a Scots I think, accent. I think it's supposed to be deliberately bad. I think, the I whole, think so too. The whole joke is that you you know you're going to be watching Connery do a bad American accent, so first you're going to watch – you know what but I mean? But he doesn't, though, does he? I mean, doesn't he just use his own voice? I thought, isn't Connery, yeah, Connery's just using his own voice, right? But he thinks that he's, you know what I mean? He does thinks, he? Yeah, he's <laughs> playing an American. 
Like, I guess so. I guess I, ah, I decided wow. to, I mean, to me, I was sort of like, oh, maybe he is like, you know, maybe Henry Jones, the elder, like is legitimately Scots and he, you know, emigrated or something. I don't know. That's, I guess I thought, just, that, that, that's what I thought, too. I think that, I think Connery thinks he's doing an American accent. So they're like, <laughs> I was gonna say, we'll show you an American doing a bad Scottish accent first. And then that'll, yeah. it, it's a meta uh, joke. Maybe that just speaks to like Connery not. I, I don't know because he didn't really phone anything else in in this movie. I think he actually no. gives a pretty darn good performance. So yeah, I don't know. But I guess if you're going to see Sean Connery in a movie, you want to hear Sean Connery's voice. So uh, I don't know that you. I don't know that I would have liked it if he'd actually done a better job being being an American. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah. So we have we have our the the tapestries joke that everybody loves, and we're off and running, and him finding his dad uh, locked in a room. Um, and uh, we get two very awkward father-son moments here. One is, I guess, that time as a father when you first see your child gun down three men <laughs> right in front of you. Things, um, again, I never caught when I was a kid, but now I understand like how mortified he is that <laughs> it was just so easy to kill people because it becomes kind of a running gag where you yes. know Henry has to sort of find the strength to do the same thing and to like fire a gun in an airplane and, and everything else and... Yeah, like I never, I never picked up on that, but now I'm watching that. And it's just like, man, my kid just killed people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're like, Nazis. My kid's an archaeologist. <laughs> this is not archaeology. <laughs> but then there's the even more awkward moment when they discover that they've both had sex with the same woman. So, so there's also that, um, which is only hinted at here, but then explicitly stated later in the movie. But. Uh, when uh, when Elder Henry Jones says she talks in her sleep, you know, we're like, oh, that's awkward. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's a little gross. Um, but hey, they're both they're both lovable, roguish men. So I guess we're we're letting that go. Well, and it also uh, gets to let you, it lets you show because and one of the things that I love about um, Sean Connery in this is uh, it's been so long since I've seen him in a movie that you forget how charming he is in movies, mm-hmm. and just like he's got this larger than life like sort of boisterous personality and he's a little bit silly but you know he's just i don't know there's something there's something there that's just so much fun to watch and when you watch harrison ford just snap to attention and become like the like i have to impress my dad and make my dad yeah. happy thing like there's a dynamic there that is really refreshing and you know again totally missing from any of indy's relationships in that previous movie yeah, yeah, I mean, and Harrison Ford plays it so well, you know, because we have that initial moment where you know his father smashes a, a vase over his head, and you know, then he says "Junior," and the first thing immediately out of his mouth is "Yes, sir." <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's sort of like, yeah. I mean, you know, the first really instance of like they just sell so well, you know, this relationship, and and it crops up again, you know, next after we get out of the. Uh, the castle as they're making their escape on the motorcycle and all those great visual gags about, you know, uh, Indy does something to like get them out of danger or whatever. And, you know, he He's looks to happy. his dad for approval with his <laughs> gleeful grin and his dad's just doesn't care and is disapproving and is like, uh, well, that's the other thing when they first, when they first encounter each other, when Indy storms through the window and he gets smashed in the head, neither one of them's really happy to see each other. It's like, <laughs> like, yeah, Indy snaps to attention and sh- and Henry is just like it's like it doesn't register that his son just came to save him and he should be happy to see a friendly face and not a nazi yeah and Um, then he just ends up being mad about the book because the book is here and it's like well of course i brought the book how else would i find you right yeah (laughs) like but i do think that i mean it does do a very good job of illustrating 
the big flaws in their relationship, you know, oh, just yeah. being that like, you know, elder Henry is like just so focused on his own thing all the time. And like nothing Indy does is good enough. And, you know, it's, it's pretty classic, but it works really well. And, you know, kudos to both Connery and Harrison Ford for really, really nailing that. And I'm very curious sort of like what their onset dynamic was like, um, which I didn't have a chance to look into. Uh, we do meet here, uh, Vogel, the uh, cartoonishly evil Nazi uh, played by Michael Byrne, um, you know, who's all like, can I kill them now? You know, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. later when he's just like slapping uh, Elder Henry in the face with his glove, like over and over again, it's he does a fairly good job of being your Spielbergian cartoonishly evil Nazi. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I looked I, him up on IMDb too, assuming that he was in some, some Bond movie, but I don't nope. think he was. But I think, yeah, I think so. if I'm remembering correctly, yeah, he worked on The Saint with Roger Moore and on oh, really? the, and on The Avengers with Diana Rigg. But maybe that was some other actor in this movie. I can't remember, but I there think it was go. that dude. Anyway, sorry. No, no. I, you know, we're, in, we're into our motorcycle chase, um, which is really fun. You know, it's another, another great Indiana Jones chase sequence. Um, Contains one of... Two moments that I will always remember, and, and it's really a stupid thing to remember, but they're when one of the motorcycles flips upside down, when the two the two of them are riding, and they, I don't remember how they crash. Oh, he throws it the spoke, the the yeah, stick, he throws it the, through the, the wheel, right? Yeah. And he flips upside down, and I saw this when I was a kid, and it looked so painful, and it still hurts me. The guy lands on his feet <laughs> before really? he tumbles. Yeah, and I've always noticed that this really stupid detail to yeah. notice, but the stuntman lands on his feet like he lands like with his feet together before he does his tumble and roll. And I don't know why, that just always looked really painful. Oh, I didn't to notice me. that. Yeah, um, sorry. Anyway. Yeah. No, no. no but, but, um, but before the motorcycle chase, there's the th- there's like the very... Um, oh, the fire sequence. And the yeah, which is a very like yeah. James Bond thing. I'm just going to like leave you here to die and walk away. Uh, then the room sets on fire. That whole scene is fantastic. Yeah. Like yeah. when they, they find the secret passage and then there's more Nazis behind there. And like, I don't know, like it's a, it's a great blend of action and comedy that like when Spielberg is like at his peak, it's like, it's fantastic. Like nobody does it like, you mm-hmm. know, that well. And is there some sort yeah. of callback or reference to... Uh, the characterization of, of Henry as being the, I'm just going to, I find if I just sit down and relax for a moment, the solution presents itself. Like, I don't know. Like, it seemed, uh, it seemed so quirky that I felt like that was an homage to something else, but I couldn't tell you what it was. I don't think so. But it's probably just, yeah. but yeah, uh, I think, just really well written part I think of the character. Just, I mean, like yeah. Keith was, I think they're just trying to keep presenting him as not a man of action. You right, know. right. Like, yeah. yeah, they're being chased, and, and he's just going to sit down and hang out for. He a wants second. to go to the library, out. and that's where the real archaeology is done. Right, um, right. I, I did find it amusing at the end of the motorcycle chase. Uh, you know, they pull up to the road sign, which on the camera side first, you know, points to Berlin and Venedig, you know, the German version of Venice. But then on the other side, it says Venice in in uh, English, or at least you know how we would recognize it. So I'm not sure why that road sign had two different languages on it in Austria, but. Hey, um, so we go to we go to Berlin, um, and uh, we have another instance of Indy stealing a uniform, um, which he puts on and uh, retrieves his uh, note, his the diary from Elsa, um, who and I then treats just, Elsa like garbage. Right. Like... I guess. Well, first of all, she's I guess just carrying it on her all the time. But okay. And uh, then yes, he uh, you know threatens to choke her to death. But then she says, I have power over you, too. And they come to a mutual understanding. 
and part ways. And then I'm not sure. I, w- I was very ambivalent about how I felt about the Hitler signing the diary gag. Um, Cause on the one hand, I felt like it was a long way to go for something that was only sort of like mildly amusing. And then on the other hand, I was thinking, well, okay, so the whole point with this diary is that like, it can't fall into the hands of the Germans. And then it literally falls into the hands of the worst possible German for no, you know, to no ill effect. So, okay. But I don't know. It seemed, it seemed like a lot to do, uh, for that one little moment, but I don't know if you guys had any issues with that or not. I had no issues with that okay. sequence. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I don't really know what it's there to do. It doesn't, like, I don't really find it that funny. Um, and I guess it's just, like, yeah, I guess it's just sort of the craziness of it. Like, yeah. It's a well, little, there's it's that. A little I think zany. there's. There's the there's the you know the irony that you can't really get close to Hitler and hear like everything that Indy's fighting against is standing right in front of him and he's also carrying a book at a book burning party right and you know for all he knows Hitler's gonna like make him throw the book on the fire or something I don't know like I think there's there's supposed to be a threat to the diary at that moment like he he can't just get the right. diary from Elsa unscathed with which, which essentially he does he needs to have some sort of yeah. actual threat there so they put that yeah threat and, I, and that, i think that, that is way. sort of the, the the idea but like and i you know the funny thing is like i sort of like it as a self-contained moment in that the idea of hitler signing autographs is funny and the idea that like a from his appearance relatively high-ranking soldier would do something as like you know quote unquote childish as like trying to get an autograph from his hero and just sort of the way that Hitler pulls it off is like his attitude about it is funny. So like the the moment itself is like well done and funny. I just for some reason watching it this time I was like I don't know this seems like a big departure for this weird gag but you know hey, it probably they're... if you excised it from the movie I don't think you'd lose anything but I no, don't, not yeah. at all. I, it doesn't also, really yeah. slow you down either. But they also need, I mean, like, this movie needs to keep throwing all these cartoon Nazis at you so that Indy can blow them away. And, like, putting Hitler, like, and giving him a big close-up, like, it, it kind of takes the movie into another area for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I can see that. Like, Especially because I feel like that guy didn't really look very much like Hitler. <laughs> yeah. But I think you can see in the Spielberg is like, I kind of want to make a serious movie about the Holocaust. <laughs> you know? <laughs> One of these well, days, he already I'm had all that set dressing. Maybe, maybe it was also because like that was an extremely lavishly and elaborately art decorated scene with like oh, yeah. hundreds of extras and costumes and props and set dressing. And it's like, well, maybe we need to milk this a little bit more because we've spent a whole lot of money yeah. on making this look good. And we can't just have him get the diary and leave. But, yeah, um, certainly would have been an easy thing to just cut that scene from the script or just like, do or you know have him encounter elsa in some completely different and exactly. much less expensive way exactly yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so anyway um yeah i think he may have been indulging himself a little bit with his nazi regalia um but uh yeah so we get on a blimp we have some fun on a blimp we have some fun on a plane that was on a blimp which i guess maybe they did that i don't know there was but, a moment on the blimp that I think it like really affected me this time because I could totally foresee myself in 40 years having this exact same conversation with Leia where, you know, Indy finally tells Henry what a shitty father he's been his mm-hmm. whole life. And Henry's just like, OK, I'm here. Talk. 
Yeah. What do you yeah. want to talk about? And Indy's got, I don't have anything to say. And it's like, why are you so angry? Yeah. And like, I could see those exact words coming out of both of our mouths at some point when we're older. Well, see, yeah, the there's, reason, there's a lot yeah. of emotional truth to it, which is a yeah. big success, I think. I love that. But then I also loved it more. This other moment I'd completely forgotten about, like later when like there's the moment of uh, death and resurrection when they think that Indy's gone off the cliff on the tank. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then Henry's like, I could have told him everything. All I would have needed was five minutes. I never told him anything. And it's so, like, and you oh, had five minutes. That's what, yeah. It's <laughs> like he didn't know, like, Indy didn't know what he wanted to say, but he knew that there was something that Henry wanted to say to him. Right. He knew right. it was incomplete. And yeah. and Henry's just going to constantly be in denial because that's what he thinks his role as a father is supposed to be. Right. But mm-hmm. like the instant that or, or, or at least just defensive about it. It's like if Indy's going to put him on the spot and be like, you were never there. And he can just be like, he can shut the whole thing down. But just by being like, well, I'm here. You know, yeah. it's like, well, well okay, and that's this, the... isn't, this isn't really the conversation I was trying to have. But yeah. And it's actually like as a parent now, it's an, an interesting thing to see the you know, the sort of philosophy of Henry saying, I taught you independence and self-reliance and, you know, how to grow up in this really complicated world and survive and everything. Like, I'm a great father. And it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, but I would have learned that anyway. I would have liked for you to have talked to me (laughs) once in a while like I was a human being. He's covering covering his, like, selfish inattention to his child. He's like, yeah, it's like, oh, we'll call it self-reliance. But what I meant was I just wanted to study my books and, like... Not and that's what you have you. <laughs> a lot, especially now, because, I mean, at least where we are, there's so much movement towards, like, redefining gender roles as parents and things like that, where that, especially then, was typical of a dad, like, this is how I'm going to teach my kid is by ignoring him, and he's going to learn how to survive by ignoring him, because that's what men do, and now we're in this world where that's not what men, well, that's not what we're well, striving also... for men to do, and that's, you know, we're sort of... So seeing that again, it, you know, it had it had this real connective yeah, tissue Yeah, and, and there's it. also the sort of semi—I mean, they, they do speak about it very sm- a very small amount at the end of the motorcycle chase, but, you know, Indy's mother had died, and, you know, so that whole throws a whole wrench in their dynamic, too, in the sense of it's like, well, what was their relationship like when the mother was alive, and is the fact that the mother is gone, like, are they each just reminding each other all the time that their mother and wife are gone, and, like, did that just sort of drive away? Like, there's a whole, like, wealth yeah. of, you know, emotional mm-hmm. backstory there that you could dig into um, that they do at least touch on a small amount, but, you know, well, it's, yeah, it's, and I don't think you'd it's really... not that kind of movie. They're not going to go any further. Yeah, than exactly. Did, but... you, wouldn't, you wouldn't want any more than what you got. It's No, you know... and, and they used enough, and it works, and, it's, and I think even if it doesn't um, overtly come across in the movie, I do get the impression that, you know, both Harrison Ford and Sean Connery tried to at least build that into their performance, you know, in, in terms of their relationship with each other. Is, right. You know, it seems like they had a pretty decent decision made, you know, about what their backstory was and, you know, how they'd been with each other and everything. And I think they had to have just to have had that sort of easy easy seeming relationship you know like how how clear it was you know like how they felt about each other and you know it didn't seem like one guy was in one movie and one guy was another movie in terms of like how they related to each other so it's doing some some good work there so kudos for that um so uh yeah so so their airplane sequence airplane Um, sequence sorry they they do finally get to bond over killing nazis together which is nice (laughs) they both get to kill a few nazis and uh and feel good about it um and one of my favorite lines was uh sean connery saying son they got us 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where he just he just lies about having yeah. screwed up things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is good. Um yeah, and again, it's like I, you know they they do a very good job of establishing what their relationship is, and it plays out in in every in every possible way. It's like you know when when Sean Connery when Henry the Elder does screw up, you know his instinct is to lie about it, you know rather than rather than tell the truth. Um, but yeah, so they they bond over killing some Nazis together, and uh, then we get to um, a, a vaguely Middle Eastern part of the world. Um, which I guess I I saw something that apparently the name I I missed it this time the name of the country that they go to apparently did briefly exist. Iskandra um, or something? No, well, I think that was the city. Ha- that's is the it Hatay? Oh yeah, yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Republic of Hatay or something yeah, like Republic that. Republic of Hatay. Apparently yeah. that did briefly actually exist and then got reabsorbed into Turkey uh, fairly shortly thereafter. But huh. um, but uh, yeah, and then I I do enjoy the scene where uh, where. Donovan gives the king of Hate his Rolls Royce, <laughs> or or actually not his Rolls Royce. He gives gives the uh, Nazi guys Rolls Royce away, in in return for um, the guns and things. But uh, I, I thought it was fun to make this guy kind of like a car freak. You know, is sort of an unexpected little character thing that I think was cute and well done. Um, but then, so now we basically have a recapitulation of the bits in Raiders, um, which are almost the exact same scene. Uh, where they're chasing, you know, towards the the end of the movie through the desert on vehicles and horseback and trucks and tanks. Um, yeah, well, they're clearly trying to one up, you know, Indy like all like being dragged behind that truck. You know, right? They're clear, right. Like, which I don't know that yeah. they do. I mean, I don't know that they actually beat that specific stunt. Um, although uh, evidently the stunt where he jumps off the horse onto the back of the tank, I guess at some point or maybe that year or something was voted like best stunt by whoever votes for these things or something. You but, know where um, I think, I think this, that idea that this was trying to one up, it gets undermined is that there's too much happening, you know, like they didn't just one up it by having them try and take down a tank as opposed to a truck. They have it so that not only is Indy trying to take down the truck, but you, the tank, but you cut in to Henry and Marcus and they're doing their thing in there and you're kind of bouncing all over the place. And what, one of the things that makes the, the truck chase thing in Raiders so effective is you're always with Indy. Yeah, it that is. That whole time. Yeah. It's very, you know, and you're, you always, you never leave the peril that he's in. And in this one, you're mm-hmm. kind of bouncing all over the place trying to. Yeah. But I think, I mean, I, I really dig the sequence and I think that that makes it. Like it kind of makes it better because Marcus and Henry are so bad mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. <laughs> at mm-hmm. fighting that like you know that they're in a lot like you kind of know that Indy's gonna get through all right yeah um but yeah at this point like you know you like both of those other that guys is, yeah that that is an interesting way to look at it is that they sort of accepted they're like okay I don't know if we're gonna succeed in making the audience believe that Indy's in danger most of the time just because yeah. of like what we've established about all of this. So we need to provide somebody that is actually in danger and actually give us two people, which I guess brings me back to my Marcus Brody thing. What do you guys think about him becoming like sort of a total buffoon in in the sense that like we haven't really up till this point, up till the the sort of sight gag where, you know, Indy tells the Nazi he's like, you know, he's so capable, he's going to disappear and you're never going to find him. And then they cut to him and he's obviously doing the exact opposite, which is fun. But like. I don't know. I feel like up to this point, Brody seems like a pretty sophisticated, interesting guy. And then he totally becomes nothing but a clown, really, like from here to the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Um, I didn't feel like he was that clownish until the end of the movie when he rides away 
on the horse and compare. Well, I think that's sort of the pinnacle of it. But well, like, he's yeah, pretty yeah, clownish, like through the whole chase and. But there was a thing that. between, and I guess maybe it was tempered by by the idea that. And I actually kind of like this, that he and Henry have a very long history. Like, it's almost like they were childhood friends. Yeah, that part I like. I and like a lot. I think lot. they went to school together. I think that's why they do the whole, like, little greeting thing yeah. in the tank. Like, I think they were in, like, yeah. a frat, you know, in, in school. And yeah. they have that secondhand language. Like, they, they get... I mean, it's not really secondhand language because, like, you know, but, Marcus is like, Henry, the pen, which, the pen. And no, but have, that's a James Bond way, thing. Oh, that's yeah, like if you kill true. somebody in a specific way and then you make a stupid pun about it. Like, that. That's I think that's what he's talking about where it's like, why would you stop the movie to make a dumb joke, like, to, yeah. e- to each other? You know what I mean? Like, Here's something that occurs to me, though, since we're getting hmm. to – we had this whole question earlier of, like, is Henry Jones the Elder supposed to be a Scot or an American? Brody is British, right? I mean, Brody is supposed to be a British guy. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And if they did know each other as kids and they have this sort of like, it seems like British public school, like frat-ish, you know, greeting thing, maybe Henry is an immigrant. I don't know. I thought anyway. it, I mean, it seemed to me like a university thing, but. It could be. It yeah. very well could be. Um, They're probably in Skulls and Bones at Yale or something. Yeah. But I think, <laughs> but, but, you know. <laughs> but I think that the thing that's interesting is that Henry is excited to see Marcus in a complete yes. opposite of the oh, way yeah. that he was excited to see his, he, you know, that is fun, yeah. his yes. son, you know, like he didn't mm-hmm. care. He was like, what are you doing here? Get out of here. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, but oh, it's Brody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but I love, I mean, I don't know. I love, I like, I love the idea of plugging a rock into the cannon of the tank, like mm-hmm. and blowing mm-hmm. that up. Like I love when the. Um, Although they did just sort of show you that it had no problem blasting a car off of it, but you know, I don't know. I was on the fence about that. I was like, okay, it's fun. It's like it's cool that Indy came up with a thing to do, but I feel like they just sort of undercut the plausibility of it. No, it's a different. Well, it's a different cannon. There's two cannons on the side. No, I, I know. Yeah, that you is, see, it all makes cool. sense, Keith. Stop this. I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but I like that no, they it's... get on top of the tank and then like it turns in like the treads because they're exposed turn into like this conveyor belt of yeah, death. Yeah, that was like, really mm-hmm. cool. And then yep. and I can't help but thinking now when he whips Henry's leg to hold him up, the whole thing about him whipping Willie at the end of Inia of Temple of Doom, where it's like, well, no, that really hurts. Yeah. Like you just put yeah. a pretty big lash into your dad's leg. That but. Yeah. Hey man, you got to do but what's at least, necessary. At least in this instance, it's like he's doing it to, to save prevent his, life, his yeah. dad from dying, you yeah. know, as no, opposed to like doubt. just being a cad. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I guess I let it go a little bit more in this. And plus, like you know, Henry the Elder is already being roughed up pretty bad by the tank tread. So. Yeah, that has to hurt a whole. I know. Hell I was like, Jesus, that must be terrible. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so then we get to, uh, you know, what, well, okay, yeah, so then we have the moment that, uh, Jeff brought up earlier where, you know, the tank goes over the edge and we kill off our main Nazi. My other, uh, um, my other second really weird detail memory is always the stuffed animal dummy, whatever, of the Nazi that gets, like, flopping around as the tank hits the ground. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, the doll. I I can't unsee that, ever. There's a few, there's a few obvious dummies. That's definitely the most obvious, but also, like, when, when, uh, you know, he blows up, when, um, Henry the Elder fires the cannon, like, into the truck, and, like, all, like, the dummies go flying Mm -hmm. out of there is also amusing. Um, I don't know. There's definitely worse dummies in movies. The Bond movies being a good example. Yeah. <laughs> um, and A View to a Kill being an excellent example. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so we have that moment. And, yeah, we get, we get to the, the nice moment where, where Henry the Elder does sort of finally realize that, you know, he needed to have been more emotionally open with his son. 
Um, and I, I love how uh, Harrison Ford plays the like discombobulated indie coming back up the hill and like how he's like completely zoned, you know, zonked out and from all. Because again, it gets back to like one of the things I love about his performance about Indy is how he tries to humanize him amongst all of the like crazy superheroics. It's like, he's a guy who does get hurt and can be afraid. And like, he just went through all this crazy bullshit and he climbs up over the cliff and like, he needs a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah. He (laughs) he needs a few minutes to gather himself. (laughs) Like he's got to like come back to himself. And I'm like, okay, you don't see a lot of that in like action adventure movies. Like the, you know, the main character being like, Oh my God, just give me a second. And and it's also like, he (laughs) doesn't, he doesn't, he knows that they're looking at the the tank wreck, but it doesn't seem to register him that they're mourning his death. Like, yeah, he's well, he's too like, he's yeah, like, oh yeah, that wow, that tank, that just that tank just blew up. That was, yeah, oof, yeah, that's a big explosion. Yeah, he's <laughs> um, like, oh yeah, I'm dead to them. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I mean, that's what's funny about it is he doesn't realize he's like, why are you staring at the tank? Yeah, like, <laughs> his performance is yeah. so good. Yeah, no, totally. I yeah, and the and the total hypocrisy of Henry being like, why are you sitting around? We got stuff to do, and it's right. It's like, You've just been sitting this whole time. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. Um, well, so oh, then they reveal. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say another another Bond connection that I forgot about, and maybe this doesn't even count. But um, we haven't t- like the return of John Rhys Davies um, as yes. Solo. Oh, yeah. So like obviously he was in the first movie, but right before this he had also been in The Living Daylights. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Same year, I yeah, think. Or maybe playing, it was the year before. Yeah, but yeah, a Brit. I mean, I think everybody in this movie, like, because Julian Glover is a Brit playing an American, and John Rhys Davies is a Brit playing an Egyptian, and in Living Daylights, he was playing a Russian. Yeah, it's just all, like, it's just all wrong. It just has well, to show, like, if you need foreigners, the British, yes. just they cover yeah. well, all well, grounds. Specifically, Jean Rhys Davies, who yeah. has been cast as almost every ethnicity yeah. on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we, and when we were talking about Three Kings, we had all these Brits that were playing uh, Iraqis and, yeah. and Kuwaitis and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that, uh, yeah, it's funny that like that Marcus becomes the clown when you have, like you would think that Sala would be more clownish, but he just mm-hmm. kind of retains this authority. Even yeah, though, which, like. Yeah, which I mean, I like, you know, I mean, I think we've, We've tried to at least he was sort of established at Raiders as as a guy with some credibility and some uh, yeah. some ability. Well, and, so is um, Marcus. Although Marcus, well, that's never, true. It was different. Was never, though, like, yeah. he was never gone into any sort of depth outside of his role as just you know dean of the university yeah. or head department head or whatever. But like, is is Sala supposed to be Egyptian? I don't even know. He just like I just said I that think because, he is, but then yeah. he winds up in approximately Turkey. Um, so I don't know how he got there, <laughs> but yeah. there he was. <laughs> Wearing a fez. Um, it's unclear. But yeah, so now we have like a whole like gang of, of cool dudes. Right, <laughs> yeah. So we have yeah, exactly. Uh, which is which is fun. We've got a we got a pretty good pretty good posse put together. Um, and they ride up to the uh, Temple of Petra in Jordan. I mean, actually, they ride up to where the Grail is. Another undiscovered that giant temple built into that cliffside totally exactly. undiscovered yeah. which which anybody. in reality is a massive tourist attraction right exactly um, yeah. <laughs> yeah i always make that joke now it's a t- it's a really stupid joke but a friend of mine who lives in uh, an old friend from high school lives in israel she went to petra and took pictures and i was like do they sell like little replicas of the holy grail out on the the tourist carts out there because i would totally buy one of those if i went yeah. to petra and they were selling them <laughs> 
Um, I mean, I guess I, I guess to be fair that a large reason that Petra is as famous as it is is because of this movie. But obviously, before this movie, it was uh, maybe not so widely known in pop culture, but you know, definitely a uh, a known historical monument. Um, uh, so yeah, so we go inside the temple and we have Donovan just blithely sending a bunch of dudes to their death <laughs> to, to no apparent effect. Uh, when one has to wonder what was going to happen when he got down to the last, uh, minion to send into the head chopping machine. Um, but fortunately he doesn't have to worry about that because they instantly capture, uh, Indiana Jones and his whole posse of, of adventurers. Um, which is sort of a callback in a way, I think, to both uh, Raiders and Temple of Doom, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, they get to the the point where the evil people are doing their evil thing and then 10 seconds later are captured and brought before the uh, chief bad guy. Yep, never um, learned his lesson. No. Yep. <laughs> never creep up on, on the bad guys doing their thing. Um, and... Uh, I sort of I think it's a good little plot point that that Donovan chooses to like shoot Henry the Elder in the stomach to force Indy's hand. Um, you know, it felt it felt clever. It also felt like what else were you going to do? I mean, that's you know like the most compelling thing that you know the most compelling motivation they could possibly give him, um, especially given his stated goal that the whole reason he's on this adventure is to to save his father. Um, yeah. So if we take this is really interesting to me because I think. Uh, like if we take the thing from the beginning of the movie that really threw us all, which is that when Donovan is laying this whole thing out, you know, he, he gets step by step, he gets Indy into the quest for the grail. And then he's like, Oh, by the way, they have your father, Mm -hmm. you know, like is, is that actually a really kind of sophisticated ploy on his part to figure out like what those loyalties are? You know what I mean? Cause, cause if he, if he led with that, Indy probably would have been like, a, you're lying to me. B, I don't care. You know, because he <laughs> because Donovan must know something about that relationship. But it's like, sure. but um, but but sort of like bring it like because shooting the decision to shoot Henry, it kind of brings like the subtext into text. It brings like the the things, all the things which have kind of just been there, but haven't been like the spine. Um, they haven't been like driving the action sequences of the movie. Um. And now it's like, so this, so then this decision that Indy's going to have to make, it sort of has more meaning than the decision to get the arc. It has more meaning than, you know, and well, and if we, if we bring it back to the story structure thing, it's like, this is now we're forcing the atonement with the father. It's like, you must atone with the father to actually complete the quest. Um, Yeah, but you're right. There's no, um, you know, in the first two movies, there's the, they're they're seeking the pri- or Indy's seeking the prize to protect the prize and to gain knowledge or, and I, there's a callback to it in this way where Henry says, "I gained illumination, like I don't need the actual cup, I gained knowledge." Or, and that's always what Indy's kind of been fighting for, and in this case, he needed the cup for totally other purposes, and it adds, it definitely adds a certain layer to the drama. Um, well, Jeff brings up a good point, too, though, about what was Donovan's plan exactly in terms of like, because, you know, Donovan, you know, obviously intrigues Indy with this quest for the Grail because he needs, you know, his father's information. You know, he's holding his father captive. It's like, was the plan to get them together or was, you know, the plan like once he got them together, 
you know, I, I mean, maybe this is exactly what he was planning to do was to like, you know, actually put one of them in mortal danger to like inspire the other to give up the goods. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, don't know. I always just assume that the plan was to get Indy to search for the grail because Indy's better at it maybe or because he I, I don't i don't know well i also think because it's donovan that sets him up with elsa right he's like you're gonna right. he's like elsa's gonna meet you as soon as you get off the boat right and right. i think but if like is it is elsa like assigned to sleep with both of them in order to drive a wedge between them you know what i mean like is she, I assume she was assigned to sleep with both of them just to get information yeah, i don't, I don't yeah, know if it was to like because we figure like all right so what's donovan's problem donovan's problem is that when when the nazis captured henry the elder he didn't have the diary on him so he needs to get the diary he i guess assumes the diary either could or is with indy so he brings indy in on the whole thing to a place where he can get the diary yeah i wonder if it's if it's that simple that really he needed the book and whether or not indy Got involved and then it was in just the happenstance that Indy found out that his father was being held at a specific castle, and then they wound up actually getting back together. Right, yeah. and that where, where Donovan and... also happened to be at the exact same time. But you know, um, yeah, I feel like so... Donovan. Part of me wants to think that Donovan thought that he could, you know, as long as he had the book and he still had Henry captured and alive, that with the book and Henry, he'd be able to find the Grail. Indy was there just because he had the book, but then since now Indy's on this quest, they're just going to sort of tail him in the background and see where he leads them. Um, although, I get, I guess that gets kind of shot down because they get the book, they've got it in Berlin, and then they just sit on it and don't. Like, it's not like they take the book and go off and do something else. Well, again, they, it's what, not it, like they don't have it. Elsa has it. Like, and I, this thing yeah. that Keith says where she just right. happens to have it on her. I think that's actually important. Like, I think mm-hmm. that, I think that she starts out, you know, well, do, cause she does. And it was, we're about to find out. She ha, either, I don't know, has always planned or has at least been looking for a moment to betray Donovan. Um, cause she does like very obviously betray him, like in the room, with the grail where we're about to get to. So, you know, presumably she's in it for her own motivations that don't necessarily have anything to do with like helping Donovan further than she has to, to like use him for his resources, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so Donovan shoots Henry the elder in the stomach, providing Indy with all the motivation he needs to, uh, solve the puzzle. Um, and, you know, we have the now iconic uh, riddles of the penitent man shall pass where he not only must kneel, but apparently must also do a forward roll for God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because okay. you can't just kneel because then the other blade comes up. And, well, and yeah. also, like, Indy stops the blade. And I always wondered why. Why not just leave the booby trap up? You know how to get I think, around it. Did I, I, I mean? I, my, my feeling on that is because he knew he was going to have to come back out. And with his history, he knows he might have to come back out rather quickly. Very good. <laughs> so, with a, with, very good. So with he, a cup full of water. Yeah. That's true. Well, yeah, exactly. That, so that he, he would then end up spilling. doesn't want to have to deal with, like, diving past some saw blades That's again, a good point. You know? Okay. I, I'm rolling um, with that. That's a good point. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I, th- I think he, that's what it is. In the moment when I was watching it, I was, I was like, I, my first immediate thought was, like, is he doing that so they can follow him? But, but I think it's more that... He knows he's going to have to make a rapid exit. No, yeah, so I always knew like... that, but I always wondered why he would be, like, I knew he was making it easier on himself to get back out, but why was he making it so easy for them to get in? 
But right. you know, you're right. That was like the idea that it, it's got to be easier for him to get out because he has a mission that he has to accomplish, and he doesn't really care about them. Right. Whether or not they get and in. So or then not. we uh, then we have a little bit of Latin trivia where we find out that they use I for J's and uh, a little danger moment there. Um, and then uh, then we have the art department showing off how good of a uh, of a <laughs> of a map painting they yeah. can do, <laughs> trompe l'oeil or however you pronounce that in the French. The illusion um, of three D. Exactly, which apparently was highly sophisticated. In uh, when are we saying that the knights went in there in the twelfth century or something? But um, well, but they got find the myself... power of God helping them create right, all these I, things. I did so. find myself wondering who engineered all of this stuff for them. Um, God. But then again, in sort of like the Byzantine era, they had some pretty darn sophisticated, you know, mechanical engineering going on. So maybe it's not that uh, crazy. Um, yeah, the only thing I think is weird about it is that, like, you know, you see it from Indy's perspective, but then you also see, like, a wide shot from, like, a three-quarter view from across the chasm, and it uh-huh. also, like, the illusion still works, mm-hmm. and, right, like, nobody right. would have painted that. Nobody right. can, yeah. <laughs> no, nobody, like, no, that's just them totally showing off there, yeah. like, look, if we move the camera to the side and back, like, that's yeah. how it works, kids. That's, that's That scene spawned a generation of VFX artists. Yeah. It'd be like I could do that. That um, is a pretty badass effect that still it works is. today. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good. And then he, you know, then Indy wisely throws some dust out there so he can knows he can just book it back across the thing without having to worry where, worry about where it is. He will have to climb yeah. that wall. But again, when he gets back but to uh, again, the illusion wouldn't work from the other side of the chasm. You know what I mean? No, right. Like it would. It, <laughs> it's all. It's for our benefit. It only well, works also, from one perspective. The doorway, that little cave entryway, is so narrow that there's only one place you can step from. So, like, they make this thing about, well, you got to take the leap of faith from the lion's head, but it's not like he's got to find the lion's head. He just needs to just keep on walking, and he'll walk right across the thing. Anybody who tried to jump it, the only way that they die is if they slip and fall off the the rail. Yeah. You know, if they just walked like he did, they would be totally fine, because it's not like they have to walk across another ledge to get to that that right. spot right, you just, right, right, it's right. A i think shot. the idea is you you get to the cliff edge you see that it's impassable and you just turn back well yeah i yeah but the thing <laughs> yeah i mean the logistics of it are whatever like you know they make it work for a camera trick but like i think that i mean the larger point and again this is the thing that this is the thing that bothered me about the plot of raiders of the lost ark and it's much more overt here is that like they've gone they've gone way past saying God is real. Now they're saying mm-hmm. Jesus was real. And mm-hmm. and then on top of that they're saying you've got to have faith right, or you right. won't get anywhere near this thing. And That's true. Like which goes uh, completely against the whole premise of science which this movie is supposed to be about, you know what I mean? That's true, although I can I can sort of say to myself that okay, when Indy is ready to take this leap of faith, that what he's in a sense really doing is going I know some way across this must exist. I don't know what it is, and I, I'm very afraid to try this, but, like, there must be something there, you know, like, in a way. Like, so, I mean, I, I, you're right that, like, the series as a whole plays a little too closely many times to being like, well, the answer is actually that God exists. Um, yeah. But like but he could like if if I if it was more about experimentation than faith he would have thrown the dust out before and then he would have figured true. it out right. you know yeah, that no, doesn't happen true. he just like goes I mean to me like yeah. it, it bothers me I think it doesn't bother a lot of people but it's like I would yeah, rather yeah. I would rather see him like if it if they if, figure it out yeah, yeah like if if the point of the riddles is they want like they're trying they're actually trying to get men of god only 
past mm-hmm. these trials, then I would mm-hmm. what I would like to see is a man of science debunk all those things. You know what I mean? Well, and he kind of he sure. does with the blades like. He realized that it's not the breath of God that's sawing off people's heads. It's a tangible, right. physical right, right, right. object that he has to figure out how to dodge. And then they show you flat out, like, it's in the name of God. It's just that these particular letters have giant pillars yeah, and that, that is like that. And the second riddle really is about 90% of archaeology is done in the library. Like, mm-hmm. that really is right. about research. Right. Um, you, need, right. you have to have the knowledge of yeah. God in order yeah. to— and I like that. Yeah. But then— but but the but the third trial is by far the most memorable, just because right. it's the most visually interesting, and I think that's that's the one that just morally, like, I don't know, to me, I, well, and again, the, all the stuff about about God and about eternal life is about to become really explicit in the next scene. But right. yeah, right, exactly. So we get there and we encounter the knight that's been guarding the Grail for centuries and centuries, and I do enjoy the fact that he puts up a token resistance and he's like, oh, fuck it. I always wondered, why is he putting up a resistance? Because isn't his whole point to sit there and wait for the next guardian of the Grail? In it a is, way? but he says that the next guardian of the Grail will become that guardian by defeating him in single combat. So, like, he that takes seems, a swing That at seems him. really petty to me on God's part. That it if you set of. up this whole <laughs> thing and it takes 700 years for somebody to figure it out, when they do, you should just hand over your sword and just be like, thanks, dude. I'm going to go die now because it's been a really boring 700 years for me. Well, yeah. and that's ultimately what he does do. <laughs> right, but yeah. He, you but... Know, but he takes a swing at him anyway and just because it's sort of fun to see a feeble old knight you know, kind of swing and fall over. But, yeah. Um, so, so then here we get to this plot point where Elsa clearly, deliberately chooses the wrong grail to right. give to and Donovan. Donovan right, to believes her for mysterious reasons. Well, because he's not a, he doesn't know anything about this. Yeah, That's why he's hiring I, all of these I people. I know. I, like, there, I guess it was a little thing that bugged me. Like, if I was Donovan, I probably would have either made Elsa drink it or brought somebody else first before I took it because well, he knows he that the wrong he couple wants take the, his life from I him. think it's really interesting, though, that like, I think it, yeah, they're, they're really trying to say something by having Donovan believe that, you know, the most ornate and bejeweled cup must be the correct one. Yeah, without one. a doubt. Because, because I didn't, yeah. like, I, having never watched this I on Blu-ray before. I think that's a on the audience. On the, on the audience? On, in a way, because, I mean, I feel like that's... I feel like that's what, you know, I feel like in a way it's almost sort of like a teaching thing for a lot of the audience being like, for, you know, all these times you've been hearing about the Holy Grail, your yeah. vision of it in your mind is probably that it's some like crazy, ornate, like golden, glowing, jeweled object. Yeah, it's right. the cup of a king. And right. so they play yeah. with that expectation and also are like, you know, if you really think about this historically, that's exactly the opposite yeah. of what it would be. Well, I don't think, um, I don't think that they're dealing with um, just like your imagination i think they're dealing with the entire tradition artistically yes. of the renaissance and all like all mm-hmm. those all those depictions because um, and even some of the depictions in the movie because we see like yeah. henry the elder's collection of grail related art and it's right. always like knights holding up like glowing golden cups and like right like right that. right yeah i just never i mean i couldn't really see before that when you go that's that there's that uh, long exposition scene in Donovan's apartment, and he's he's got this crazy Manhattan penthouse, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. filled with all this fine art, um, yeah. like on top of all the crazy collectibles. And so there's there's like he's just, you know, they they never really, it's kind of the first um, super rich person you have in an Indiana mm-hmm. Jones movie. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. there's like the Maharaj and everything, but um, 
but you know what I'm saying? It's like he he values wealth, and he's like, well, if yes. this if this thing has a bunch of gold and jewels on it, that must be the right thing, you know. And and right. and um, the facts at the beginning of the movie that Indiana Jones is like, we're in search of the facts. That never occurs to him. Like he's mm-hmm, just he's mm-hmm. just a collector for collector's sake, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's destroyed by his own greed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so but then I mean I'm still sort of stuck on this point, and I guess stuck. But like so, Elsa's decided to betray him. So. What's Elsa's plan been this whole time? Like she, like, you know, in, in a minute we see that like, you know, she has just sort of lust for the grail as if it were the one ring. Cause it has the same effect on Indy right at the very end. Mm-hmm. But was that true before or was she just purely into it out of archeological interest or, you know, what's in it for her? I mean, I guess there's some obvious things in it for her, but I guess what specifically, you know, is in it for her to have gone along with this whole plan with Donovan to, one presumes have the intention of betraying him one way or another. Well, what is she at time? Does it ever, do they ever tell us what she's a doctor of? Is she a doctor of archeology span or? I don't know. I don't think they do say specifically. I mean, yeah. Because I feel like they want her to be, you know, the female indie, like somebody who values this and, and she's using the Nazis to get, get the treasure that an archeologist would seek. And, and it, and it's, and at the end, she, like, you know, she says, "Indy, it's it's yours and mine. Like, let's let's go. Yeah. We have it." And yeah, like but that's, where her that's loyalties sort of like are, how things weird. have changed. That's sort of how things have changed for her right at the very end. But like in terms of her plan all along, like was she going to keep it? Was she going to give it to the Nazis? Which is what Donovan was probably going to do anyway after he drank out of it, because he's like, "I don't care if the Nazis have the Grail. I just want to be immortal." Um, you know, etc. So I don't know. I guess I find myself mildly confused about what her what her intention was the whole time, given that it's clear that she was going to take this opportunity to betray Donovan. I feel like, I mean, the way that it plays to me, and like you said, the way that she sort of changes and the grail kind of becomes like the one ring. I think the idea is that what she's doing in that moment and then what Indy does in that moment, it doesn't have anything to do with what her plan was before. Like the, the idea is that the grail is so powerful. Like basically everybody, like up until that point in the movie, everybody's treating the Grail like a collectible or like it's like they want it for the story or whatever. And then the instant they're in the same room with the thing, they're like, "Oh, this is real. Eternal life is real. I could have it right now." Then they just mm-hmm. snap and become monsters. And everybody, mm-hmm. including Indy, it doesn't happen mm-hmm. to Henry. He's the only one who, like, right. you know, because he is the man of the library, you know, well, and not re- the man of adventure. But he also but, is the only one that actually. Drink? Oh no, indie drink. No, no, Never indie mind. Does. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Which yeah. ignore me. Brings me to my question, which is: Is Indiana Jones now immortal? No, no, <laughs> because the knight says you can't take it past the Great Seal. Well, well, I know. He, well, he says you can't. No, but take that's the why grail the whole. That's it. why the whole cavern. Cracks right. And he and says falls that down. he says that the power of the Grail only resides here. This is this is one of those. Oh. This is that knit that I wanted to pick earlier, but I waited because it had to go okay. again. So you have the brothers of the cruciform sword who are there to protect the Grail, but the Grail doesn't need protecting because the Grail right. can't go anywhere. So, yeah. like, what are you? What are you guys killing people over? Whoever finds it has to, like literally sacrifice their eternal life to God to well, stay there because they can't leave. But they the don't... point is they they want to silence the story. They don't want yeah, anybody okay. to get that no, far. That's true. Because, okay. the, because the whole thing is like if the Nazis like, you know, now that the Nazis know that it's real, like they could easily go go back and come back with a whole army. You know what I mean? And right. They, they would get it mm-hmm. eventually. Um, right. Um, but... Well, but I guess what I was saying, I was like, I was, I guess there was amb- ambiguity for me, whether it's like, cause he does say the grail cannot leave the cavern. 
that's the that's the price of immortality. And so my sort of internal question was like, okay, so does that mean like if you stay in the cavern, you can be immortal, or if you leave the cavern, you can't? Um, that was my interpretation. Or is it just that the Grail can't leave the cavern? You know, like, or is it that? You know, because there was also the story in the beginning where they're like, you know, the story is these knights emerged from the desert like 150 years later, like obviously with extended longevity, etc. So then I'm like, is there a third option where they drank from the grail? So they're not immortal, but now they are going to have some sort of like supernatural longevity where they just live for a really long time. Yeah, my... which is maybe why maybe why we're about to get another Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> <laughs> my interpretation, and I and I, I don't know that I'm I'm right. My interpretation was the power of the grail stayed in the cavern. So. You know, it's one of those you had to prove your faith to be awarded immortality and the and the or um you had to demonstrate your your servitude to God, I guess, by mm-hmm. staying in the cavern. That was the price that you had to pay. Like you can have immortal life, but you don't get to have life immortal. Right. I mean that makes sense, but I think also Keith is right in that the whole the, the story is that the knights did live for hundred and fifty years, so they must have they I mean, they were uh, yeah. Able to I don't get remember out. the details of that story well enough because yeah. I guess I, th- like, I, I think thought really that, all the details that, that they yeah. they had the well. The other thing is, was the Grail always in that cavern, or was that something said, that? But he they... says the Grail can't leave. He doesn't say you can't leave. Well, like, he says I think... the power of the Grail. I thought I don't remember. You know, I, right. I don't remember. But the like, details I think the idea being that you ha- like everybody who drinks of the Grail must have made the pilgrimage past the trials. Right. You know what I mean? Like you can't you like once having made it, you can't then take the grail and give but you can st- you can't take the grail out and give eternal life to anybody you want outside of the cavern. Right. But anybody else who wants to come inside the cavern can still come and become immortal and then leave. Yeah, but the knights I mean, did it's, die. It's left a little so yeah, I don't know. I just like the idea of an immortal Indiana Jones. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> that would no, that would be rad for sure. No, I still I always <laughs> interpreted it as yeah, both the the both father and son are now immortal. Well, especially but, because, but like, so we're saying the power of the grail killed. stays in the cavern, but when Henry leaves the cavern, his wounds don't open up again. I mean, like, he's clearly... No, that's, that, that's true. Um, but it also wouldn't... I mean, it doesn't make sense in the first place, really, that the water would heal the bullet hole. You know what I mean? Like, like immortal beings can still be killed. Sure. You know, presumably, well, you know, depending on the rules of like, this particular uh, yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, I guess elves, I don't, like, like elves will live forever until you, you know, stab chop them. their heads off. Yeah. Right. yeah. But I do think it'd be fun. So, you know, they are talking about making a fifth Indiana Jones movie uh, when the new Star Wars, you know, sequels are over. Uh, potentially with Harrison Ford as an old man. And I do think it would be funny if what they did with that is now set the next Indiana Jones movie like way in the future. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, he's oh, like super yeah. old and he's like, but he's, you know, been been granted like immortality from the grail and now he's like, God damn it. <laughs> and Indiana Jones is a replicant now. <laughs> yeah, that'd be funny too. Um, but yeah, so there, I mean, you know, so we have, uh, we have a reconciliation with the father and the son um, after this adventure, and um, everybody lives happily, possibly forever after. Um, and, you know, I think we have a very enjoyable movie. Like, it's certainly like a huge improvement over Temple of Doom, both tonally and execution-wise. And I think most importantly for me, starting with my original thesis about all this, is I think I think the movie is very true to the character of Indiana Jones uh, in a way that Temple of Doom wasn't, unless we want to accept that caveat that like what we see in Temple of Doom is happening before Raiders, so maybe he was a different person. Still, I don't find that very satisfying. Like I, I like to think that the the Indy that we meet in Raiders is essentially the guy that Indiana Jones is and has been for a while. 
And, you know, I think, I think, uh, last crusade, you know, uh, perpetuates that. And we have the indie back that I at least like. Um, so I go out on a high note. I think it's a very satisfying movie. Um, the one interesting thing is given now we're going into the next movie in the two previous movies, there've been things that I've been able to somewhat facetiously claim are in fact, extraterrestrial objects, uh, such as the Ark um, and things like that. I don't know that we have anything in this movie that can, can possibly be, fobbed off on extraterrestrials unless we want to say that you know the grail and all of the uh you know all of the mythology is misinterpreted encounters with uh, aliens yeah uh, so maybe we can hold on to that <laughs> yeah but, that uh, explains the virgin birth yeah the way star <laughs> right. stargate is exactly uh, yeah so uh so the next time we meet indiana jones uh we're gonna have jumped forward a couple of decades or at least one almost one full decade in yeah. time or so maybe not quite. That I think far. more. I think 19... it's in, in the mid in the middle fifties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Okay, so yeah, so we nuclear do, scare do and all that yeah. is in that. It's we're just gonna, about. Gonna... I mean, it's 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 just about real time, like the amount right. that Harrison Ford had aged in yeah. real life. Right. Um, okay. Great. Yeah. So we're going to pick up our story with Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and uh, what wrap other up the I, I'm sorry, currently Keith. existing. What's that? I am sorry. I had one other quick thing that I wanted to say, just because it was a mental note that we didn't talk about. You know earlier when you know where i think like this movie really got back on track aside from being tonally and more characterly characteristically correct um for indiana jones was that here they have a map like they have a treasure map like an actual puzzle and a quest that guides the movie structurally the way raiders did and the way that temple of doom didn't yeah like temple of doom he's just meandering through this thing and they end up in this one place for such a long period mm-hmm. of time and so you end up with these long sequences of not a whole hell of a lot happening and they don't ever go anywhere new or fresh and encounter like the number of times that they encounter new challenges are slim by comparison to raiders and to this and like to get back to that it's like no let's have a, a map where he goes somewhere and he has a specific quest that he knows about at the beginning of the movie and like he's got to trace these things and at each one of these you know landmarks on this roadmap that we've laid out for him we can have our own little mini adventures and it, yeah you know it yeah. just in terms of pacing and everything else it, it brings the movies it's so much more successful than what temple of doom tried to do yeah which well, and yeah that's very there, true there is a thing i like about that temple of doom structure but I, I think i think again it goes back to james bond it goes back to saying like your teaser is going to be in one exotic location mm-hmm. your act act one act two act three are all going to be completely different like so you just you just continue a physical journey right. all the way across the globe into the craziest places we can afford you know right. to shoot in um yeah, yeah and you're right it gives a movie a, a different a really interesting energy because you just keep going and going but the temple of doom thing i like because i just te- i tend to prefer movies that all take place in one day like mm-hmm. just because it gives mm-hmm. it gives you a crazy energy and momentum that you just like you get in the situation yeah. and you have to just keep trying to get out of it but um and so Temple of Doom is like a day and a night and a day. Or I guess it's like two full days. Like if that you he's sit, in the temple itself. It's a short, amount, it's a short amount of continuous yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, For if sure. they start, like, it's a night and then a day and then a night. And, well, no, they're no, they're walking. They're on, they're on those elephants for a long time. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> temple of Doom's just a mess. But anyway, so this yeah. movie, uh, this movie the, the, especially the success of this movie and how much people enjoyed the beginning, did spawn a relatively short-lived series, TV series, called The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Um, which for our purposes right now, we're going to skip over, but, um, who knows, maybe we'll come back to them sometime. 
Um, so thank you for listening to our assessment of the third Indiana Jones movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, this has been The Story is Ludicrous. You can find us on the internet, um, uh, Twitter at LudicrousPod, uh, on Tumblr at LudicrousPodcast.tumblr.com. Um, at, you can email us, and please do, um, at LudicrousPod at gmail.com. And uh, that's that, oh, hold everybody. Up. Should thank we, should we uh, oh, set on. up what we're doing next time? Uh, sure, yeah. Well, uh, next Keith time. has been absent for so long that he's forgotten <laughs> how this works, and he just doesn't care about the next he's, episode. Well, he's, he's just, we're trying to blaze through this because so, one of us has a hard out, but we have yeah, about... Yeah, sorry, that's my fault. No, a, but we have about eight minutes. If yeah, we, no, no, no. Yeah, we we didn't. I, I also forgot. I also forgot in our little pre-recording session to ask who to toss it to. So I'm just covering my own embarrassment. So I'll just <laughs> say it right now, on the air for everybody here. Who am I supposed to toss this to? That's coming to me. It's my turn. Okay. So Ethan, what are we doing next time? All right. On the story is ludicrous. So I don't know if you guys remember when we talked about Shallow Grave. We I don't remember. I, remember. I actually don't remember if it was online or offline. But we mentioned that. They announced a sequel to Train Spotting. Yeah, and mm-hmm. sort of said, "Well, what are they gonna like?" I'm curious to see what they do with these characters 20 years after the original Train Spotting. And I thought, yeah, that was actually a really interesting idea. And so, there were two movies that I think are really, really good that have a character that spans over 25 years between when it was originally made and when the sequel, in quotes, was made. And the character is Fast Eddie Felson who appeared uh, in The Hustler in 1961, and then again in Scorsese's The Color of Money in 1987. And so I wanted to explore how, over the course of really two generations of filmmakers and styles and everything else, how this character crosses through that time period and and what happens to him cool. over that period of time. Um, so, yeah, that's the homework. Um Watch The Hustler and then The Color of Money. Sweet. All right. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>